Oh, there's Kathy. Hey, Kathy, looks like you made it. We're getting ready to launch her just one more minute, waiting for the launches here. There we go. There we go. Speaker view, there we go. Okay, we're live on YouTube, which is as live as we get. How you guys doing today? Roger's doing good. Glad Pretty to good. Hear it. Almost Express certified. Anders, welcome. Joanne, welcome. So I'm Bill Gross. This is our Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time. Probate real estate uh, mastermind meetup. Uh, we get uh, investors and wholesalers who come across some probate problems, questions. We get some realtors who want to get into the business of probate real estate. The realtors are active in it to share some best practices and what they're doing. Sometimes we get vendors, escrow title, sometimes attorneys. Very group of people. And uh, so it's four o'clock, so we'll go ahead and launch um, and uh, get started. So, um, uh, and I will say that anytime if you have a question, raise your hand, jump in audio, interrupt, put it down in the chat box. Uh, if you're on YouTube live, uh, there's a live chat. I'm watching that as well. I love to answer questions. The goal of this call is to be real with the business. I'm not selling coaching. I might someday. I'm not selling data. I work with various companies and refer you to the one I think would be best for you. I'm a real estate broker. I sell houses. I help people sell houses. I help investors buy and sell houses and make money. I help people who have problems with probate sell the house that they want to get rid of. I do it every day. And I build a real estate team. Uh, though I'm not here recruiting on the phone call. Uh, I'm really here just to help people. My first coach was Zig Ziglar uh, in 1989. I studied with him in, in just outside Dallas in Carrollton, Texas. And my coach Zig used to say, you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And I really believe that probate is an opportunity to be a service to families. They're trying to keep generational wealth intact, not spend it all on court fees and attorneys. It's also an opportunity for people to make money selling property, buying property, flipping property. And so I try to focus on helping people. Uh, that's the purpose of this call is obviously I can talk to more people at once. I can help more people at one time. So that's what I do. Um, I host this call on Thursdays at 4. I have a call on Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Um, also uh, live streamed. Uh, it's a Zoom call. It's on Eventbrite. And there we talk about purely investing in Los Angeles, outside the state, multifamily. And we're launching a new multifamily call on Wednesdays at two o'clock. So we do a couple of different things. And I think eventually we have a channel of different topics in real estate. But for now, today it's about probate. I just want to share with you an interesting story. So when I say probate real estate, describing my personal business, the truth is I think of it more as legal real estate. Because in the course of probate, I meet attorneys. I feel like I really relate well with attorneys. My father was an attorney. I was pre-law in college. A lot of my clients were attorneys. So I used to go to Stanley Moss Courthouse, downtown LA every day. Watched sales, watched business go on. And I would prospect while I was at the court. 
Uh, in fact, there's 11 different ways to make money in real estate uh, as a real estate agent in probate. One person has a hand up. I'm not sure who that is. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, that's Joanne. Okay, Joanne, I'll ask you a question. Let me just kind of finish the story here and we'll go to you. Um, I used to go to court every day and uh, try to meet people. And I discovered that downstairs at Stanley Mosque uh, on Wednesdays were sheriff sales. Sheriff sales are not like sheriff sales in other states. Here, they're only what are called judicial foreclosures as opposed to administrative foreclosures. Administrative foreclosure are trustee sales. Those are typically done at Norwalk. Used to be in the county courthouse steps. Now they're done at a hotel across the street and other courthouses. But that's a deed of trust that's being foreclosed on by the trustor. Sheriff sale is when somebody can petition the court to force the sale of a property by the county. And the sheriff's department is one that does, that holds the auction and effectuates the sale. Most commonly, somebody loses a court case and owes somebody millions of dollars, doesn't want to pay them or can't pay them other than the equity in their house. They don't want to sell the house. So one party gets the court to agree to sell the house at a sheriff's auction. There's only about 10 of them a year in Los Angeles County. Hmm. but gets them to force the sale of the property. And it's very different. It's very complicated. And I don't make it sound like I'm all that, but I went there to every one for a couple of years, so I learned more than anybody. What I realized was nobody knows anything about these sales, not even the attorneys that do most of them, not even the sheriffs that run them knew the rules. Um, and these are in the, in the, knowing the rules can be the difference between getting and not getting the property. So I got, I, I was at a sale last year and I kept in touch and kept in touch and kept in touch. And finally the seller said, yeah, we'll let you, because there's some nuances on how to sell these properties. You can't just sell a short sell, a sheriff sale property, uh, a regular retail. You have to know what you're doing. And I, I told the attorneys, here's what I do. So we got it. We went through the steps. Nobody mentioned along the way that while half the property was owned by this guy who wanted to share so the other half was a probate now they got lucky that i know the rules of probate and i went to them and i said look even though you have full i checked the letters you can have full authority or limited that's a whole class but either you need the court to prove the sale or you don't limited or full and they had full so i said to my realize you have full authority you don't need court approval but you probably are going to have to file a 15-day notice of intent to sell the property. Not that you need to legally to satisfy the judge or the court, but you'll need to because the title company won't insure the sale without it. Even though you can be right about something not being needed legally. And um, often attorneys are right about things legally. But what they're wrong about is, it doesn't matter how right you are, if the title company won't insure your property, you're not selling it, period. It ain't going to happen. Buyers not going to get a loan. They're not going to buy your house. So I told them, I said, look, you got to file this 15-day notice. The other party um, was given notice, 15-day notice, and we had proof of service of the notice. But not only do you have to give the notice, you have to file the notice so the title company can say it's public record before they close. They said, well, when do we have to do that? I said, well, really, you just need to do it the day before you want to close. So we're going to close on a Thursday, file it on Thursday at 4 o'clock, 
So the title company is good, and they'll record the documents five o'clock, uh, not eight o'clock next morning, and we're done. Because what we don't want to do is what? Who knows what, what you shouldn't do? File it early. Anybody know the answer to this one? You want to file it early because now the objector is going to file a complaint and then he's going to hold up his sale. He's going to have leverage at that point. So they were arguing that we don't need it. We don't need it. I said, look, here's my title underwriter. Here's another title underwriter from another company. The, the, they may not need it legally. You might be right, but they're not going to ensure your file without it. Sure enough, they agreed with me. Sure enough, we filed the thing online on Thursday. Friday recorded, we're done, closed. Everybody got paid. And the moral of the story is the attorney, you know, I uh, called them and thanked them and, and who referred me. There's actually two attorneys involved as well as a customer. And one of the two attorneys said, hey, call me next week because there's another property in this estate that we want to sell, which I knew they had. Um, and I know I do a great job for them. And I felt like I earned it through this file. So the moral of the story is do your job, know the rules, know not just the law, if you're an attorney, but you got to know the rules too uh, in working with your vendors. I work with Laura's title. I work with Kevin Sales, great title rep, knows the rules, knows the process, will run interference for me ahead of time, tell me what we need to do. So it's important to be on a team and to know these things so that you can give the best service to your clients so that you also get repeat referral business. So there's my probate story on filing the 15-day notice, not just serving it, but also getting it filed because the title company needs it before you close. Joanne, you patiently waited with your hand up there. I don't know if you're giving me a high five with a question, I think. Yeah, I do have a question. I was, I was searching through the MLS and I was just looking at, at different areas. And I, I ended up in Pasadena and I was looking specifically at homes, um, probates that require court confirmation. Mm -hmm. And I ran across this one particular one. And of course, it has pending on it. And so my first question, if it if it requires um, court confirmation, mm -hmm. shouldn't that uh, shouldn't it be active under contract because because um, uh, on the, uh, the the court confirmation hearing, there's always a possibility that somebody is going to be in court and they want and they may want to bid. Uh, that's the first one. The second question is this. You know, I, um, I was trying to get a feel of how agents really um, write in the remarks and the contingency. And this particular listing, it says, buyer to be aware that this is a decedent's probate estate, which is good. Well, I kept reading and it said, buyer to be aware that seller has not yet been appointed administrator and any acceptance of an offer and completion of the sale is subject to her appointment as administrator with full authority under the independent um and well actually the the i the iaea my, my question to this is can you legally list the property um and that person and and the pr has not yet been a, been appointed by the court to be the PR and place it in the MLS? Okay, so uh, two great questions uh, that, uh, you know, I wish I, could write, I, I need to write them down and, and um, create a frequent question list. These are two great questions that get asked. Put your hand down if you would, Joanne. It's kind of weird the way the picture looks off to the side there. I can't tell if it's you or somebody else because um, the picture's not over your, hands over your picture, but anyhow, um, thank you. So first question she asks is, 
I see a property in the MLS that needs court approval that shows as uh, active, maybe active or active under contract or pending. Which one did it say? Do you remember? Pending. Oh, it said pending. Okay. Yeah, pending. So the question is, what's the right status? That, that's more, one, one question is, what's the right status for an agent to comply with the MLS requirements on the property? And then there's another question is, how could it be pending or how can it be active or active in a contract if it's still court approval? So what I'll say to you is I've called the MLS hotline. They're not definitive. I've read the MLS, at least my MLS guidelines on statuses. It's not clear if it's waiting court approval or not to your first question, what the right status is, whether it be active, active under contract or pending. You can make a case for any of the three. It's in a contract, but the contract is basically meaningless if you're willing to pay the list price and the list terms, the list price would be the overbid, right? And that's one of the things you need to do. Mm -hmm. You have to list, you have to adjust the list price to the overbid amount or technically now you're in violation because if you show it active and it's not at that price, any, an agent can make a case, hey, I delivered to you the offer you wanted, you'll make commission. Nobody ever does that, but that's a possibility. Or should show in our in MLS, we have active under contract, or do we show it as pending? And I've talked to MLS and they left it in my court. I've talked to my broker, I'm with EXP. Uh, we're one of the largest brokers now in brokerages in California, largest single office, I guess. Um, and, and they didn't have any guidance on, on how it had to be. So I've taken the practice of making it active under contract, mm -hmm. and the price being the minimum overbid price with the proper notation with the court date information and that's requiring overbidding. And then once the court has confirmed the sale, I'll change the price and put it pending at that time. Because now your price is public record and your, your pending has all, con all conditions are clear. Normally we show a property as active under contract when there's contingencies. We're supposed to change it to pending when all contingencies are cleared. So in my mind, the most accurate way to describe that is active under contract waiting court approval. And then once the court approves it, it should show as pending. Do all agents show it that way? Well, no. And some do it on purpose because they want to generate leads off their listings. Others do it on purpose because they want to um, dissuade people from offering on the property. So I, that's why I look at those and try to find those opportunities. And I would say that's probably true for all realtors in all markets, not just LA. LA probably you, used to get away with more. I should say agents got away with more in the past because the properties are spread out amongst multiple, count, uh, multiple county courthouses within LA. And nobody's really watching the whole thing. Now it's all in one place. It's easy to catch people trying to slide one through. But there is a lot of confusion over the proper status from a realtor's point of view. When you have a sale, but it's not yet confirmed, what's the right status? I've seen active. I've seen active on a contract. I've seen pending. And the MLS is not enforcing it. They're not going to call it a violation and our brokerage is unclear. I believe the best practice is um, once you have an accepted initial offer, active in a contract, once the court approves it, it's pending. And once mm. a contract, it should be for the minimum overbid amount. And then the pending, you can change it to the uh, actual amount at that point. Does that help? That, that's my opinion. Now, Joanne, what's your opinion? You're an agent and you look at these things. What do you think it should be? It should be active on the contract because until, um, 
Um, that's the way. And the, and the reason reason being is that you haven't gone to court yet. And, 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 and it has it has not been confirmed that court. So it's it's, it's like anything goes. So anybody um, has the right to walk in and overbid on there. So in other words. Um, um, well, you can make a case. I can make a case that active in a contract is misleading because it's not really under contract at the price at the minimum overbid price is not under contract. Anybody can buy it. Okay. Right. And so I'm not saying you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And I actually agree with you in practice. I actually, uh, because I do want, I want to be as clear as I can to any agent looking at it or any prospective buyer or seller. My, my guiding principle is what's, what's ethical and what's legal first and what's ethical and try to be as clear as you can. But again, I would just say to you, I wouldn't say somebody who left as active is wrong if they have the core information in it and the list price is the minimum overbid. Mm -hmm. if, they leave, if they leave the price below the minimum overbid, then that's just misleading, right? Yeah. But I see agents do a lot of wacky things every day. I'm going tomorrow because there's a couple of wacky things that should be done. So that's the way it goes. And the second question? Second question. So this is a really interesting question question. The second question she says, she asks is, I see a property listed for sale and it says right in the listing that the listing agreement isn't technically valid, legally valid or binding because the person who signed it wants to be approved to represent the estate, but they're not yet approved to represent the state. So technically they have no more rights than anybody else does, or I should say legally, they have no more rights than anybody else does to sign a listing contract. I can sign my own listing for your house and it's not going to sell. And in fact, I can tell you that when I went on to Paul Horn's probate training class, Paul Horn is one of the most prolific, prolific and well-known attorneys in LA and Orange County. And he did the certification class on probate for the California Association of Realtors or CAR. He actually encourages this practice uh, on his, um, in his training, on the official CR training. And one could say then, therefore, CAR is uh, specifically authorizing this, this procedure where you meet with a state and um, as long as, you, I can see the, the argument, as long as I disclose to any potential agent and in fact, any potential buyer and in fact, uh, and, and as well as the seller, of course, that it's not legally binding. But on the flip side, I would say, but then what are you really doing? You're kind of potentially wasting the buyer's agent's time and potentially wasting the buyer's time, right? Right. Because you might think you're going to get it, but it turns out your brother, he wants to be the executor and he doesn't want to list with your realtor, he wants to list with somebody else. And so I think that's one of those things that agents push for because it seems like a shortcut or a have a sneaky way to get some business. I've done it and tried it. And I can say from experience, I don't like it. I don't think uh -huh. that's really the way we're in business. Now, in defense of those agents, sometimes you're talking to some of these people for three, six months because they had to wait to get their court date. Maybe the paperwork wasn't done right. There's some minor technicality. There's the only thing that stopped them from being approved. Um, you have a lot of time, effort, energy, money in. The seller wants to use you. They're committed to using you maybe. But um, I, I did it right away when I learned about it. 
I don't like it, I wouldn't do it today. I'd rather say to the administrator, you know what? If you don't want to list with me in two or three months, you don't have to. And I certainly would put in the MLS. Uh, now, what I might say is, would you like me to try to show the property to friends and family? And, and also, I, I host a, a Zoom call on Tuesday. Would you like me to show it to potential buyers of your property and get the word out there? Would you like me to put it on the internet, my Facebook? I have this property coming on the market soon to try to get buyers. And they're going to say yes. And, and I would go that. But if it's a stranger who I'm worried somebody else will list the property instead of me, you know, I just, I don't, I don't need the business that bad. I'm busy. I really mm -hmm. have a list agreement to write up. Uh, after this call, I have another call from five to about 5.45 or so. So I think if you work hard and you get a business, you don't have to find a way to sneak that one by. I don't like that. Now, let me ask you, Joanne, as an agent, what do you think when you read it? I thought that the listing agreement would be invalid because yeah. the court had not appointed that person as the PR. And I, I don't know, you know, um, if I would even suggest the property, if I had a buyer for, for the property, it's a beautiful property right. and um, it's located in Pasadena. Now, the only time that I think I would consider doing something like that, if the person was an only child and there were no other relatives or anything. And, but other than that, I would have to wait. I don't feel, I just don't feel right. If the court has, has not appointed that person as the PR, I really, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I just simply call back in a couple of months or a couple of weeks and say, you know, hey, are you ready to list with me? And uh, this is what I have to offer as far as marketing your home and everything. I. I, I just don't feel right doing it because legally that person is not the PR. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're not. And I think it's, it, you end up perhaps um, um, taking people, uh, taking people, um, uh, you know, waste their time, buyers, agents, buyers. I know that, you know, people want the property, they're going to call and they're, it, it makes the, the buyer's agent feel stupid because he's going to call and tell them it's not really on the market, but it's in the MLS. It's on Zillow. It must be real. You know, it's it's um, difficult. So yeah, I'm with you. I I, I don't. I've seen that done. Uh, I've like I said, I saw Paul Horn uh, prove it. I think that you know, if you're with the XP, I think it's something where they would let you do if you disclosed everybody. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, and maybe in the MLS, may or may not. I don't. I don't see how they do. But you know, I, I'm not on the board, so I can't really make that that decision. Um, I I wouldn't do it. I I just don't. And when you say it's only one error, yeah, if, if it's one error and it's my cousin, I still don't think I would do it. I think I'd say, let's just wait till we get the letters and we'll put the MLS in. Your listing will be hot. Why? What are we really saving here? We're going we're gonna to save the 17-day contingency period. We're going to save 30 days of marketing time. Like, how, Why would you go through the process? What's that really do for the buyer at the end of the day? Right? If I was the buyer, there would be this big umbrella of uncertainty right. hanging what? over me. And I have just moved my money, my 10% right. into right. escrow. And so what? now that money is being held up. That's why I looked yeah. at that and I double and, and, and I did a double look at that. And I, and, 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 and I, I felt funny, you know, reading it. I didn't yeah. feel comfortable reading it. And I, I, I couldn't do it as, as standard practice. I'm with you. I, I don't see it. Anybody else on the call have a different opinion? Anybody else on the call? Um, 
uh, as far as um, why they should do that. Anybody do it before they have a good experience? No? Okay, well, there you go. I, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, I, I'm on the same page with you. Like I said, I couldn't believe it when I first saw Paul Horn describe it. Um, I, I didn't really believe that's what, what he would teach. Um, now, he's an attorney, a smart guy. I'm not questioning whether he's right or wrong. I'm just saying from a salesperson point of view, I don't like to practice at all. So there you go. Okay, Joanne, two great questions. Thank you. You get the star, uh, you're the star um, guest of the day today. Thank you so much. Yay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, who else has a question we can help with today? Anybody? No? And Joanne, you're, uh, you're in the Valley. Where are you located again? I actually, I have a question, Bill. Okay, sure. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Good, who is this? Um, so, update on uh, my, my probate. I got a call from Title saying that they're, they're not going to insure the deed. And their reasoning in a nutshell, um, the property when the deceased passed away was in a trust. Uh, we can't find the trust. The person who designed the trust passed away 10 years ago. It's, it's, it's gone. It's just lost and can't be found. And um, so title is saying, and keep, keep in mind, we have uh, the letters of administration. And they, they were abreast of all of this and still uh, administered him with full authority. He's pro per. So um, despite of that, they're, they're saying that, no, well, we, we want the petitioner to go back to court and have them grant him successor trustee of the trust. And then we'll ensure it. And my argument to that is, why is that necessary? The, the courts already ruled in his favor, considering all of that and granted him full authority. So, you know, um, yeah, so now I have to search for another title company because they're like, we're not insuring it. Who's the company that you worked with? It's Fidelity. I mean, I'm not going to mention his name because I, I, it's not his fault, but it, it, it's Fidelity. So a um, couple of things I'll say about title insurance. One is... I, wor I work with a pro in title, a guy who literally wrote a book on <laughs> title insurance. Literally wrote a book. So, you know, I I'm sure that guy's good. He probably brings you nice coffee cups, maybe buys you some donuts or something once in a while. Um, you know, maybe in the old days, those guys would be buy you Dodger tickets. In the real old days, right, they'd right. buy you suits. I need to just close my freaking deal and I'll buy all my own stuff. Thank you. Um, I, you know, shameless plug for my coach. I wrote a check to join his coaching company, Kevin Sales. Uh, he has probate 101 and probate, I think, 201. For uh, it's not free because he's an expert. And this is this is his area of expertise. There's only one title company rep that I've seen in my career who gave classes at probate court in Los Angeles in front of, I don't know, a hundred attorneys who paid money to hear him and gave them credit for continuing ed. That's Kevin Sales, lawyer's title. So, you know, I, I'd run it by him. Now, if he says it's impossible, then it becomes impossible. 
Um, gotcha. He worked on the inside. He knows the business, uh, in my opinion, better than anybody. And if, if there's somebody that's more lenient when they can't for some reason, in my experience, in talking to him, he'll point out why somebody else can do it or can't do it. And again, okay. it's not a function of whether or not it's legally required or not. That's the misnomer. Um, it's whether the top company wants the business uh, and, and the risk of that particular case or not. And so sometimes they'll require something to make them feel comfortable that even though the, the, the bad guy, even though he legally has no title, they don't want him to sue anyhow because then they have to defend themselves, right? One of the things my father, a blessed memory taught me, an attorney, he said, anybody can sue anybody for anything. Doesn't mean you're gonna win, but anybody right. can go to the courthouse and follow the paper. You know, it's funny. In fact, literally, I met this guy. Um, he approached me when I was at the courthouse last year. I guess, well, I guess it's over a year now, right? Over a year ago. And um, the guy's crazy. The guy is literally crazy. And he has a story of him being, I don't want to say his name, one of the most important people in history. That's him. And he's, he has the rights to all the land in North America. And he's crazy. And he's filed a probate court case that literally uh, the, the probate sale, uh, or I should say the, the petition to sell the probate court is going on tomorrow at LA County probate course, a probate court. And I, you know, I, I track all the sales and saw, and it's a nice, big, huge building, office building. I have people call me, you know, all the time. Hey, you know, give me office buildings. And this is a big, you know, multi-million-dollar piece of property. And this guy's trying to shake loose somebody, and I guess hopefully they're going to write him a check to go away. So they make it sue me for anything. And the, and the tau company, even though you might be right uh, that they that they that they legally have what they need, you can be right about that they're not going to sure title. And so one of my other coaches taught me a long time ago, you can be right or you can be rich, but you can't be both. I'd say this also, who are the calls married? Just real quick, show of hands. In fact, I say more than men. Who are the married men here who are married? Tell me this is right. Uh, you can be right or you can be married. You can't be both. True or false? Right. My, my wife says she married Mr. Right. Mr. Always freaking right. <laughs> it's because I'm always right. That's, that's just between us. She can't hear me. So again, to your point, uh, this is William, right? I'm, 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 the question on the title? Yes, yes. And we talked about this, didn't we, William? I don't mean to call you out, but come on. We talked about this already. Well, but the, 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 what I've learned, though, is it, it's not necessarily the title rep because I've right. escalated this rep. to the manager. So it's, it's, it's not, not necessarily it's the it's the decision maker. It's the owner of the company. It's so the it, it's, the it, it's not even Kevin. It's not Kevin. You know what I mean? He, he's good for information. But what I've learned well, from this experience, it's 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 the actual company and the decision maker and the title officer behind the title rep. That, well, that pushes it's the, it through management to get the decision. Yeah, it's the underwriter. And the underwriter's job is to know and underwrite the risk. And he has a book of business and he's judged on 
how much of that has problems or doesn't. So it's the end of where one makes the decision. What I will say is that um, and one of the problems, one of the problems in probate, it is so litigious. And and what I will say in other title cases, I've gotten things approved that other title companies won't because um, like liens that popped up that were small and old. Uh, I've had title companies overlook them because in those days I was getting business from a great commercial downtown LA bank and we're doing big numbers and high quality business. And they knew the players, they knew the bank and uh, for a smaller deal, they're willing to take some risks because there's a book of business that they're making money on. As I say to them all the time, it's title insurance. It's not title um, uh, certificates. You know, it's insurance. You're, there's a risk involved here or else we wouldn't need you to pay for this. But they don't want to take any risks that they, that they know of. They're only going to accept risks that they're not aware of. But the truth is, if you do enough business with them or your company does enough business with them and you earn some trust with them, they know you'll back up. They know who the players are. Um, and the players aren't litigious, they'll cut you some slack. If the players are litigious, they don't want to take any chances because even if they're right, they don't want to be sued. But I will tell you, it's not the rep, but the rep takes the case to the underwriter. And I think Kevin will get you an answer on that or tell you what, give you a game plan on that. Pretty, pretty liquidity split, in my opinion. And I would say, I don't, I, do I think that would go through? I think, there's a, I think there's a solution there that you're missing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I've never been in a deal where the title has, they said, we're not insuring title. This is my first time experiencing it. I'm like, oh, wow. That's no, no, no. Yeah, so. it's, not, it's not your insuring thing. It's what are you going to do to insure the title? Like, right. that's, that's your job. It's tell me what I need to get. We'll get it for you. It's not your job to say you're going to do it or not do it. If you say you're not doing it, you don't want my business. Right? We're going to insure the title. What do you need to insure the title? What documents do we need? What procedures do we need? That's their job. When they start telling you they're not going to insure, insure it, they're really saying they don't want your business. And look, probate's probate's tough business. It's not it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart title companies either. Uh, and right. companies want easy, clean, fast, high volume, you know, business. And different underwriters have different books of business. You got to find an underwriter who's willing to take some chances uh, uh, on your business to a degree. So, anyhow, that's my two cents on that. Thanks, Bill. A pleasure, William. Good luck, man. Is this the property in um, uh, Fraser Park? Oh, are you cut out? Are we talking about the property in Fraser Park? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, just today, I, I, I swim, my picture in the background, at El Segundo Pool. And on the far end of the pool, which is actually underneath my side of the pool, uh, the showers were closed. We had to use the outside shower. But there was the, the pretty blonde gal in the skimpy bikini taking the shower next to me. And she told me, and she told me that uh, as we talk, I'm chatting her up. Now I'm a married man. I'm not going anywhere with him. It's having some fun, but uh, turns out she had just moved. Uh, she lives in Fraser Park, and she swims. Oh wow! Of all places, I said, "Well, that's so funny because I just looked at a listing yesterday at Fraser Park, and wow, those are some great mountain views. And that's gonna be some fresh air up there. So, good luck with getting." <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Excellent. Who else has got a question, challenge, problem? We can help you guys with today. I'm the probate real estate doctor. I'm here to help solve your problems. Who's got a problem I can help with? William Holmes on the call. Is that William Holmes I used to work with uh, in down Orange County? No, I'm from New York. Different William I'm Holmes. I'm new. I'm new to the call. <laughs> okay, well, I knew another William Holmes. But what part of New York are you from? 
Well, I grew up in, in the city in the Bronx, but I live in Long Island. Got it. Uh, and do you know where, uh, how far are you from Plainview on Long Island? About 10 minutes away or Got less. It. My daughter's married to a young guy from Plainview. So I think the biggest claim to blame of Plainview is they have a bagel boss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bagel boss, man. I'm New York. You got I keep kosher. So, uh, but bagel boss is the bomb for sure. Good. So how can we help you? Any questions you have or just checking in? No, I'm just checking in. I'm new okay. to this and I want to learn. So I'm listening. Great. And you're a real estate agent or investor? Or what do you do? More of an investor, wholesaler and an investor. Got it. So how do you find properties to wholesale and invest in? It varies. Uh, I mean, between various programs I list on and, you know, um, from Connect um, investors to various other um, gurus in the business um, to friends and relatives um, sometimes refer to me um, different properties. And so okay. I do my, you know, due diligence and check them out. Excellent. Tell me about working with, you know, it's interesting because on this call we have some realtors and we have some investors. Tell me about working with the realtors. Do you, do you have a particular activity to generate talking to realtors or are you just saying in, along the way you meet some and you, uh, you talk some business? Well, as far as, as far as business concerned for realtors. Well, let me, let me ask a question another way. I, mean, I, I was kind of vague. Do you, I'm actually, I actually work with some investors and wholesalers who actually have, you know, lead generation systems that I help them with. I'll give them the data for, for example. Um, so I'll get data on pre-probates, probate data, and also kind of work with their salespeople and coach them up a little bit on that. Do you do anything in formally with real estate agents or is it just more informal? You look at deals from time to time. More informal. I, I you know, there, there are some realtors look us, look at us as uh, somewhat competitors in some respects, because our job is to find property at a cheaper rate and they want to sell it at market rate sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so their discussion sometimes navigate to, well, why don't you, if I have clients, like I'll consult. And if I have a client and I need to find some comps and some data, I may call them up and saying, you have any comps on, you know, on, on this location? And they'll say, well, why don't you send a client to me? Why are they coming to you? <laughs> um, and, and, and there are a couple of agents that we just share information. Um, so I'll just say that, that for me, my business, first off, I find properties that need investors to buy them and, um, and fix and flip. And so I work with investors almost every day. And um, part of why I had this phone call is to meet investors and to, and, and in your case, in New York, you know, if, if there's a realtor or two that you think might help here, coming on my call, learning about how to work probate, me coaching them up, we're actually expanding into New York, for example, in some of these other markets. But I think, I think that, that there's real estate industry, your success is built on your ability to interact with other people. Yes. And true, you might be a competitor on some deals. It's also true that we can work together, I think, on a lot more. And if you focus on that part, we both make some money. That's the part I want to focus on. Well, that's what I'm doing. That's exactly right. I agree with you on that. Yeah. I've Good. Well, I think I'm going to be in New York uh, in June for a week because I have a wedding 
two weddings uh, eight days apart, and my plan is to stay there in the middle and do some, maybe do this kind of a call live version in New York. So uh, we hope to get a chance to meet you. Uh, if not before, I would be on the, on the phone. Um, if I can help with anything, feel free to reach out, but maybe we can meet up then. I look forward to that. I, I greatly appreciate that offer. And, and hopefully we can talk soon. And while you come into New York, making sure you go to the right places, especially the bagel places in the city, you know, but in terms of <laughs> some deals, I, but that would be great. Well, I'm Jewish. We're pretty well hooked up in the bagel places. I'm looking for uh, in kosher though. Uh, New York is like the Mecca of kosher food. So I'm looking. Yes. For <laughs> yes. Yeah. You guys have some really good stuff. Excellent. Thanks. Um, and then I see a question from Vicky. Hey, Vicky, how you doing? Um, and Vicky's question is, how can we find, and the, the phrase she uses, inherited property? So tell me, Vicky, tell me more about your question. Where, where are you getting the term from, and what do you think you're looking for? Oh, okay, because I was reading about, uh, obviously, probate and things like that and how to find properties. And I think one of the authors of something said, you can find inherited properties because... Sure. Those are good probate leads, could be good probate leads. So I was just wondering, because I don't know where to find those. So inherited properties is an interesting term. Um, mm -hmm. If you think about somebody passes and leaves you property, um, right. by definition in California, you need a probate to transfer the property if it's worth more than $150,000 or more. Below that, there's a short version, but technically that's a probate. The term inherited properties, I saw... Um, I want to say a documentary, I think it was 60 Minutes. I saw it online. Um, but in particular, the topic of inherited properties in the South, and it really is probate, but really what it is is two or three generations of probate being of property being passed down. So grandpa had a property and had eight kids, and then eight kids got the property, uh, you know, um, and 50 years later, those eight kids have on average five each. Now you got 40 different people with various percentage of the property. Mm. And the problem is that when you have multiple people, some look at it as, hey, for a couple thousand bucks, I'm happy. And others look at it as the legacy of their family. In some of these cases, in this documentary, I think it was Georgia, it could be Mississippi, but somewhere in the deep south, the, the, these are properties that people got when they were freed as slaves, like in the 1860s, I guess. And really, it wasn't that long ago, right? That's 150 years, but maybe 100 years ago. And so two or three generations, it passes and gets split up. And some of these people lived on the property. Uh, but then once the pieces got broken up, investors would buy up the pieces, get a majority, or force the sale. We call it here in California a partition action. If you even for minority, you can force somebody to either pay you your share or sell the property and split up the money proportionally. And the idea was that these investors that were buying these inherited properties were taking advantage of these poor mostly. And um, it was kind of sad. Um, uh, progeny generations of these people who got, you know, I guess 40 acres and a mule or whatever the process was that was in their family for, you know, 100 years, all of a sudden is being bought at piecemeal and sold to investors. And you could say that's capitalism. And you could also say that that's um, um, too harsh. Uh, and in this documentary made the point that it was done in a way that was, that was harsh and sad. 
I think that what's clearly true is that when people leave the decision of how to um, manage their estate to the, to the county, it definitely interrupts generational wealth. And I think you can make a very strong case here in Southern California, in LA, that I, I think, I hope I've come across as racist, I don't think it is, or political, but probate is disproportionately African-American in LA County. I mean, if you just sit in the courtroom and people's uh, and pay attention, and, and unfortunately, this is wealth of people who were, you know, grandma, grandpa, and great-grandma, great-grandpa had these properties. And that money is being paid out to the court and court fees, attorneys and attorney's fees, two siblings fighting each other in court, and the, and the, and the penny is being split up at the end. And so I think the term inherited property is, is, is common in other states, but it's also used to identify this problem that families' generational wealth isn't being protected and handed down, and how do we approach it? And, and I'll say on a personal level, um, as a lifetime Californian other than two years and lifetime out Los Angelino other than two years, it's heartbreaking to see what's happened to our city and, and county in some regards. And I do my best, and I'll do it on this call from time to time, promoting avoiding probate by um, creating living trusts. And we have too many attorneys in LA County, and we don't have enough providers of living trust services at competitive rates. Um, and, and attorneys will say often, well, these companies that do them cheap are no good. And I'll say, in my experience, 95% of the living trusts, even the bad ones are better than no probate, than no living trust at all. Mm. So anybody who's interested in that issue, I, I'm certainly glad to talk to you about how can we help our city, county, um, offer families a way to protect their generational wealth by avoiding probate. I, I don't want to sell houses and watch families torn apart. I'd much rather help them protect their assets and build wealth and make a healthier city and healthier county. So if anybody's motivated to get involved in that, why is there not, can I go on soapbox for a second? Anybody have a problem with this topic? Is it getting a little sensitive here? Why is there not a nonprofit that maybe through churches or just in general offers free living trusts, basic living trusts. And then people who need them are told, hey, we can't write you one because yours isn't basic. You need an attorney. At least let them know that ahead of time. Why, why is it so many people end up in court having the court decide to sell their house? I don't understand. It's beyond me. May I ask a question? Sure, Roger. Go ahead. Sure. Well, two things. On that topic, you know, my, uh, my, um, license my commission by the secretary of state as a notary is being renewed so i'm going to be able to be at the court and offer free notary service to those families which is a great way to meet them but yes. the question that i have is uh i saw one of your videos and you had mentioned that back in the day you used to spend three hours a day making calls and the question is what hours did you find the best to do that you know, one of my favorite topics as a coach, I would get asked all the time, is what's the best time to cold call? Great question. Anybody else besides Roger interested in that question? What's the best time to cold call? So I have two answers. Number one is the best time to cold call is the time you cold call. I had a couple of yeses there, which sounds arrogant, but, um, you know, <laughs> 
so many people have great plans and don't ever do it. And so I would coach people and they'd say, well, I want to do it in the morning. I want to do it in the evening. I want to do it in the afternoon. I want to do it on Saturdays. I'd say, well, look, here's the deal. You need to do three hours a day. Five days a week is 15 hours. I don't care when you do it. And I don't care if you don't do it. It's just you're not going to achieve your goals. If you're going to tell me that you're going to do it all on Friday for eight hours and Saturday, for example, just track it. And if you get it done, good for you. You'll build enough business for the whole week. It's just nobody does it. Nobody will ever do that. And so I can just tell you in my career in real estate in 36 years, the only people I ever met who did lead generation three hours or more a day did it first thing in the day. Everyone. If they're door knockers, they would door knock. And I see people door knock. Sometimes people door knock at seven because they want to get in three or four hours. And that's the time they have to start to do that uh, when there's sunlight and when there's no COVID. Uh, as a cold caller on the phone, uh, I would role play 7.30 to 8, and I would call from 8 to 12 every day. And when I say 8 to 12, the, the, you know, the process I use, an hour is like 50 minutes of work and 10 minutes of break time. 10 minutes to stand up, and even if I need to, go to the bathroom, walk around, put water in my face, get a drink, move around, go back. 50 minutes on, 10 minutes off. I would do that four times a day, Monday through Friday. Did that for years. And if you, my experience is if you don't do it first thing, now you can start at 8.30, you can start at 9. That's about it. You don't start by 9 o'clock. I've never met anybody who started after that who ever got it done. So the truth I would say is you better be starting at 8 o'clock or 8.30 uh, or you're not really going to get to it um, in my experience. I've never, if you know, here's one. If you know somebody who prospects three hours a day, tracks their numbers, has done it, let's say, for 90 days or more, put in the chat box or call me or text me, tell me who they are. I'd like to call them and meet them. They'd be the first person in my career out of thousands of people that did it. I don't believe there's one. You know, I used to say this. Um, I, I, when I started in this business, uh, I got into Mike Furry's coaching program, which was great for fundamentals. And I would say, uh, that uh, if you're new in the business, you should follow the Mike Ferry system for your first two years or so to get to $100,000 a year minimum gross income. Great program for that. Once you get to that, it's a little hardcore. And I would tell people, I've met thousands of people who did a certain amount of business, did Mike Ferry for a year or two, and did more business afterwards. I never met anybody who started at a certain level, took Tom Ferry's program, and did more. Now, I imagine there are some. I'm open to the possibility. Uh, I, I, and if there's anybody on this call, call me out right now. Text me. Let me know. I did Tom Ferry, and it helped me increase my business 25 30%. Entertaining, great ideas, great information. Absolutely. I hired Tom. I was one of his first people to hire him when I was in the mortgage business 30 years ago. So when I say stuff to you guys, I'm not selling a coaching program. I'm not talking on the competition. I'm just saying from my experience, I never met anybody who cold called three hours a day or more who didn't do it first thing in their day. If you know somebody who has, please let me know. I'll meet them, and at least I'll say I met one. If you think you're going to be that one, Roger, I'm telling you that's hard to do. Why not just follow what the others do that do it successfully? And I've met thousands who cold called every day who started at 8 or 8.30 or maybe 9 and did it at that. Long answer. I know Tom, Tom, uh, Tomas, I think you had a question. 
Somebody else had a question. Did I answer your question, Roger? Absolutely, and I will be that one. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Okay, we got about three minutes left here before I wrap up. I have a five o'clock networking call I do every week. Uh, we've got to generate some more business. Uh, any other, anybody else have any questions, challenges, problems we can resolve with today? Attend, nice to see you. You know, I, I do have one other question, if I may. Please. We'll wrap um, up with you. I, I was at the court on Tuesday. I was looking up, you know, files. And there was a, a case on Tuesday for a probate, you know, hearing that had been filed like over 10 years ago. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> well, you know, it's not that uncommon. Um, I can tell you that um, right now, scheduled for court confirmation sale in March is a probate case that was filed in 2006. That's what, 15 years ago. Right, right. And, on, and uh, tomorrow, scheduled for court confirmation sale is a property that I've invested for. We were going to go to it tomorrow. I think my, my investor passed out. In 2008, that's 13 years ago. So when people tell you timeline, I can tell you this. I track every sale in LA County. So I know the actual numbers and I, I track every case in LA County to pull the data. And I can tell you that um, there are not, there are not court, uh, they're not uh, probates, they're closing inside 12 months. They just aren't. They take longer than 12 months. COVID added three or four months minimum from the filing date to your first hearing date. But even still, there's none closing in a year and three, four months. It's just, it, they all take longer than that. Um, I don't know why. I'm not saying it should be. I'm not saying uh, attorneys are bad because of that, but I, I can just tell you what the data says. The data says, if you file probate, you're not closing it for le in less than a year and a half. And, and, and on average, probably two years. Thank you so much, Bill, My and pleasure, have a great Roger. evening. Thanks, Roger. Hey, all you guys, um, I do a call on Tuesday at 3 p.m. Um, and if you're interested in that, you can call me, text me, email me. I'm glad to always help with that. My website is uh, thelaprobateexpert.com. If you go to the LA Probate Expert, you'll see there uh, on the far right resources. Um, oh, that's really weird. My website is not taking thelaprobateexpert.com. There we go. And the right side, you see resources. I have a probate call and a real estate flipping wholesale call for wholesalers investors because I work with William. I work with wholesalers investors every day, man. That's how I make a living. I couldn't imagine working without you guys. So I'm glad to help. Um, and uh, please, uh, I sent out the link on the YouTube. Please, if you watch the YouTube, please like it or don't like it as appropriate. Put down comments, how to make it better. If you subscribe to the channel, I appreciate it. We're trying to build this. Vendors will come on this call and give you guys opportunities for some freebies if we can continue to build this call. So we're, we're getting up to about 100 people a week between participants and um, the YouTube views. So I really appreciate you guys' support. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of the week. Uh, and if I can help, please give me a call. Thank you.